I think that that's where people get hung up on marketing as well, is that we look at Gary Vee and Oprah and people who are billionaires and who have massive teams. You got to keep in mind the resources that you have as a small business. And you also need to go back to what are you building and what do you want your life to look like? You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Krista Chapman of Path and Compass. I am a business coach and consultant. I specialize in marketing and sales, and I work with a lot of creative wellness pros, artists, and wedding and event professionals and help them build better businesses and make their dreams come true. I run a marketing agency as well, but really my super skill is clarity and strategy. And I love to help people kind of see the forest, the trees, and figure out where they're going and how to do it in a way that's intentional and thoughtful so that when they get to where they want to go, it's actually where they wanted to be in the first place. Krista and I met at World Domination Summit a few years ago, an annual week-long conference that has played a huge role in both of our lives and businesses, and we've kept in touch ever since. In this episode, we're talking about marketing funnels, including how to allocate the time you spend addressing the different stages of your funnel. Top of funnel, again, is about brand awareness and audience building. And so if you need a large audience, it makes sense to put more emphasis there, but you need to be thoughtful about not build a big Instagram following because it makes your ego feel happy. How to actually ask for the sale? Don't do this BS of like, you know, if you're interested, you know, I'm here, just let me know, you know, I don't want to be a bother, but no, boldly and clearly tell them what you want them to do. And how, with all the marketing strategies available to you, to choose the right one for you and your business. It's really, really easy on the path to quote unquote success to fall into line of others, people's perspective on it. You didn't create a company. You didn't choose your own life and leave the corporate grind behind so that you could then fall right back into someone else's cage. We also talk about mindset, choosing the business you want to build and run, and the potential small business has to create meaningful change. You heard Krista mention that one of her superpowers is helping business owners achieve clarity. So to start off our conversation, I wanted to ask about the difference between having a marketing problem and having a clarity or mindset problem. I think that that's something that I oftentimes see is that people will will come to me and they will ask, you know, the kind of broad questions, you know, how do I improve my SEO? How do I get on the first page of Google? How do I get more leads into my business? Should I do this ad or should I have a website here or whatnot? Those are all really, really great questions, but they all focus on the tools and the platforms. And we haven't asked the more important question, which is what are you building? And once you've decided that and really sat down and thought through that and determined that, as well as kind of working, because in that process of deciding what you're building, you're also going to uncover what your mindset hurdles are. And that was something that I learned sort of in the roundabout way as you do in business. I mean, I must have been at least five or six years into my, my business space where I was like, why do I keep getting stuck? Why do I keep hitting the same stuff over and over again? You know, okay, maybe I just need to like tweak a tool, tweak a tool, tweak a tool. You don't. <laughs> you need to sit down with yourself and you need to, to dig into your own stuff. And and that's when I realized that that as entrepreneurs and as business owners and as creatives in particular, which wellness people are healers and, and they definitely are creatives in that sense, you are your own worst enemy. You will be the person who will get in your way 
more than anyone else. And so until you can take the time to have the awareness of what those mindset hurdles are, and then start to work towards them. I think that, but I think it's really also important to know that once awareness is one part and action is another part and that you won't ever, ever be done with the action steps. You'll work right. through your mindset stuff forever. And I think that that's one thing that, that people think, okay, well, I've, I've worked through my money story. Now I can make a million dollars. It's like until you make a million dollars and then you got a new money story that just shows up again and again and again. So I have learned that, that mindset is the thing that will ultimately determine your long-term success and your long-term sustainability, but we get distracted in that marketing tool space. Important, technical, but there's a bigger thing and a bigger question that you need to ask yourself. What am I building? What do I want to be known for? And what kind of life do I want to have? And those are my three things that I always ask people to really kind of dig into and think about as they're creating this path in front of them. Yeah. So obviously, if, if somebody's going through that, it's probably useful to work with either a consultant or a coach or something like that to help them go through those. But how do you know, like, even if you're clear on things, there's still going to be tweaks to be made to your marketing channels and all these different things that you're doing. Nothing's probably going to be perfect the first time you do it. So how can someone kind of like get a sense of, okay, this is actually me? Is, are there like recurring frustrations or, or things that show up that would suggest that it's a mindset issue rather than a tool issue in your experience? Yeah. So the recurring issues that I see come up with mindset are money. That's a big one, especially for women, what you're charging, what you're pricing. Oftentimes people will say, well, I'm not getting, you know, a converting enough leads or it's must be my, I need to change my pricing or I need to change my packaging. And there's usually a money story underneath of that, which then is attached to value self-worth. So that one comes up a lot. You'll hear imposter syndrome. That one, I think, is another space where people, you know, get a little bit hung up on putting themselves out there in regards to like social media or, you know, sharing information or positioning themselves as a quote unquote expert, then that imposter system. So if you find yourself not doing that, but really a telltale sign is procrastination and not doing stuff and you're finding different excuses. Oh, I need to, I need, I need to figure out how to do Facebook ads or, oh, I need to figure out how to be more effective in my social media you're avoiding the, the, the stuff that you need to really figure out because we don't want to sit with our own stuff because it's not fun. And, and it reveals a lot of stuff, but I can say that if once you do it, once you go through it, then it is much lighter and it is a lot easier. But as they say, the only way is through. Yeah. And so if you, let's say on the other hand, you recognize that you have these mindset issues and obviously what we're kind of talking about here is that maybe you shouldn't start addressing the tools until you've addressed the mindset. But if you know you have a mindset issue, does that mean you should hold off on your marketing entirely? Or should you still be like working at those things while you're working through your mindset as well, kind of like side by side? Yeah. So I think it's important to recognize that mindset work will, will be your entire life. And for the really sticky mindset stuff, it will be your entire life. You absolutely can do marketing and market your business and grow your business next to the mindset issue. I think the most important thing is self-awareness and compassion, particularly for yourself. And to, to recognize that is something that's going to get you caught up, but it doesn't mean that you can't continue to like push yourself a little bit further and, and recognize, oh, this is why I'm kind of feeling stalled today. Maybe I need to to go take a break or I need to reset so I can come back to this with sort of a fresh perspective, 
not necessarily an entirely healed mindset. One of the things that I have is sort of my, in case of an emergency list, in case of a, like, I am stuck, like stuff is not working. I have a list of things that, that I do that sort of help me snap out of it. And knowing that like, I'm always going to have, you know, I'm going to, you're going to take two steps forward, one step back when it comes to all of your different mindset things. But having these little kind of go-to self-care routines or reset buttons for me, like taking a shower, I like to lay on the floor and do like twists and different yoga poses of a big inversion person that can kind of help just reset my perspective. And then I can come back to whatever I'm working on and, and get what I need to get done. So I can still be marketing and moving my business forward while equally working on that. It's like you do the business stuff with a business coach and you do the mindset stuff with a life flash therapist, life coach therapist. But yeah, you definitely do it at the same time. I'm so glad that Krista mentioned the idea of identifying or creating practices that help you reset when you're struggling with mindset, procrastination, self-doubt, or any of the other dozens of things that can derail us in our work on a day-to-day basis. I first started thinking about and practicing this concept more intentionally earlier this year after reading a post by blogger David Kane on his blog, Raptitude. The post is called How to Feel Better When You Don't Know What's Wrong, and in it, he shares how he's created a list of things he knows will help him feel better in a particular way that he can go to when he needs a pick-me-up. Since reading his post, I've made a couple lists of my own, titled Things That Help and Things That Hurt. In my experience, we generally already know the things that will help and the things that will hurt us, but having them written down in a place we can see, maybe even posted on the wall above your computer monitor, makes it easier to consistently choose the things that help us and move us towards our goals and avoid the things that don't. I'll post a link to the Raptitude article, as well as my own list of things that help in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to check them out for your own inspiration. Having talked a little bit about mindset, I wanted to dig deeper into the specifics of marketing funnels for wellness professionals. I asked Krista to describe what a standard marketing funnel might look like using the example of a meditation instructor. So as a meditation instructor, let's go to the top of the funnel. So we're all about brand awareness here. So this is where you're going to be posting on social media and you're going to be utilizing social media to gain awareness and connect with your audience by using targeted hashtags and by using optimized posts and posting times. For meditation in particular, I really like like when people do like little live mini meditations, video is a really great tool for you or sound bites. It keeps people on the platform longer, which means you're going to get better engagement in your feed. But really that top space is about building brand awareness and social media is great for that. Digital ads are also great for that, though you need to have the kind of rest of the funnel in place, which I'll get to in a second. But that's another really great way to, to gain exposure is to do a Google ad or a Facebook ad People looking for meditation instructors in your area, you can come to them in person or, you know, virtually. I also think partnerships and looking to connect with, say, other wellness professionals can be a really great way. One of the things I love about the wellness industry is how collaborative everyone is and how how everyone has different healing modalities, but they all work so well together. And so it really makes sense as a meditation teacher that you're going to connect with a yoga teacher, that you're going to connect with a Reiki master, or that a massage therapist, and maybe there's a collective and together you can work to build each other's brand awareness. So that's kind of what's happening. So on the daily, you're posting on social media. I think Instagram is probably your best bet in regards to the platforms available to you. That middle part of the funnel is where we're looking to pull people deeper into our business and into our website space. 
and get them to engage with our brand. I really love the idea of a lead magnet. And this is a really common sales funnel technique, marketing funnel technique. This is where when I mentioned that digital ad, so if someone is seeing a digital ad for your business, oh, are you looking for a meditation structure in Phoenix, Arizona? I'm your person. Well, maybe they are, but maybe they're not. And what's missing there is the problem that you're solving. You're offering a solution, but people can't really see how it fits in their life. So by instead pitching a lead magnet, a lead magnet essentially being an educational tool, a PDF, a recording of a meditation, something that's free and valuable that you can give to people for engaging with your brand. And by engaging with, it means they sign up for your email list. So they've seen the ad, they get the lead magnet, perhaps it's an at-home guide to, you know, creating a meditation practice post-COVID or something like that. So it's relevant. It says, here's a problem and, and here, you know, or here's a way to reduce stress, you know, in your life. And so something like, you know, very catchy title and that's key. And then from there, they will sign up for your email. You'll give them that free download or guide. And then be dropped into an engagement series of email drips. And so then this is where we're in the middle part of the funnel where there's just more engagement. And so they might have seen your brand, but now they're getting it in their inbox. They're learning more about you. They're seeing more ways that you can help them. They're being asked to action. So they're being asked to, hey, here's this other download that you can grab. Or, hey, you know, maybe you're interested in my Patreon account where you can come, you know, do monthly meditations with me and, and pay a small monthly, you know, Patreon membership or on and on and on. And so that's how that kind of middle space drives them further and further. And then when it comes to making the sale, how does that factor in uh, for our meditation instructor here? Is that through email? Is that through some other method? Because I think a lot of times people get stuck with they're doing all this promotion, they're on social media, they're doing all these things, but they kind of forget to actually make the pitch or the offer. And so they don't actually get that many clients. And so they get the sense that like, well, social media doesn't work for getting clients or email marketing doesn't work for me or whatever that is. So like, how in your experience do you make that sale without feeling you know, sleazy about it? Yeah, yeah. No, this is my favorite question because I actually really, really love sales. And this is a mindset thing because if we go all the way back there and we think sales are sleazy and manipulative, is that really true? You know, sales in my, in my perspective is about solving problems and helping people. And so if we can make that shift there, it's a little bit easier to kind of approach it. But if we're taking our marketing hat off, which is what we've been doing, but about promoting the brand and showing the audience who we are and, and how we can help them. And now we're going to put our sales hat on. The most important thing in regards to sales is to follow up. Most people think that if they've sent two emails and no, nobody's responded, they're like, well, I guess they weren't interested. Should, I should go try a totally different audience or let me change my ads completely. There's a patience required with sales. And I think it's really important to note that statistically, 80% of your audience needs to be engaged with at least five times before they buy. So that could be five emails or an email and a text message and a personal note from you before they actually, you know, click the buy button or just the brand awareness and the number of ads that they've seen in regards to like physical, you know, product merchandise and things like that. But asking for the sale, 
is super, super key and clearly asking for the sale. Don't do this BS of like, you know, if you're interested, you know, I'm here, just let me know, you know, I don't want to be a bother, but you know, if, if this is sounds, no, you solve the problem. This is how you can help. Let people know that and boldly and clearly tell them what you want them to do. Click here to buy now. Click here to book this. Reserve this spot with me. Create that sense of like ease for them to know where to go and urgency. And then follow up way more than you think you should. And the one thing about following up, and this is where people start to feel sleazy, is because they're like, oh, I just feel like I'm constantly like pitching people and I don't know what to say. And it just, you really need to kind of think about it from the perspective of being that trusted resource and building a relationship. Initially, at the very beginning of your marketing funnel, you planted some seeds. And then two days later, you're like, why don't I have pumpkins? <laughs> I'm like, well, because it takes a whole season for like pumpkins for the plant to grow and then the flower. And then like it turns into a little pumpkin. And then it, it, like over time, it's, but it doesn't just like happen. And people, so there's a nurturing process that we have forgotten in business and sales. And this is where people just, get frustrated and give up. And there really has to be this continual follow-up. And you can do that through more creative ways than just like, hey, just checking in. Hey, just checking in. Send them more valuable things. Send them more educational tools. Give them more tidbits and advice. Stalk them on Instagram and figure out what they like. Oh, hey, I saw that you have this gorgeous golden retriever. And, you know, I just want to let you know that like I'm a big dog fan or, you know, whatever. Oh, I saw you just went to Yosemite. Like that's my most favorite national park of all time. Like that's a check-in. That's a follow-up. It's building a relationship. It's just checking on your plants, making sure they're all happy. They've got everything that they need, knowing that eventually when people are ready, convert. And that's another thing too, again, language. If you are interested is a sales killer. If, the word if, kills sales. So instead of saying, if you are interested, you say, when you are ready. It assumes the sale. And that's another kind of key difference too. All right. So if somebody has made the sale, they've got our meditation instructor has somebody who has signed up. They have maybe gone to one meditation class, uh, maybe a series. What you talk about the tank here, which is something that isn't in every marketing or sales funnel, but what kind of activities then go into continuing to nurture that person? And, you know, why is this important? Yeah. So, and that again, ties directly into the follow-up. So once a person has converted and, and bought a product from you, A, they are m- more likely to buy from you again. And your cost of acquisition is significantly less because they're now in your system. And so people don't pay enough attention to the clients that they've already had and the clients that have already made the decision and said, yeah, I, I think you're great and I want to buy from you. We sort of just focus on the new you know, new leads, new business. And with the tank, some of the activities that you can be considering, yes, email marketing is great. And this is where ongoing email marketing. And so it's not just, you know, the newsletters, the the monthly or bi-monthly newsletters, which I think are great. It's also targeted emails that if you know they went to a specific meditation workshop, let's put together a drip of, of two to three to four emails that go out over the next few, you know, weeks or, or month after that meditation workshop that speaks to the different elements of things they might've experienced. So there's like a post self-care meditation workshop guide that comes out day after the, you know, or the the day of the workshop. 
as soon as they get home, they have all these tools and resources to kind of, you know, absorb this new information and put it into practice. And then it's a week later, it's like, hey, just checking in. I'd love to get your feedback on the experience and, and, you know, know what you thought about it. And then a few weeks later, it's like, you know, now that you've got this, all these new tools and resources, how are you using them in your life? And perhaps you want to leave a review online or here's some other upcoming events that might be of interest to you that are targeted. And so those are the things and ways that you can continue to, to do that. And there are really, really great tools out there that you can create these automations and these drips where people will essentially go into your system and once they have a certain tag, they then will get dropped into an automation. So all this can happen automatically and you're not having to do all this follow-up yourself but it keeps you kind of in the top of mind and shows how you're going to continue to build a relationship with them. I also really love gifts and little kind of fun trinkets and things like that. Samples would be really great, especially if you're in like the wellness space where you have products and offering those to people, anything around their birthday, anything around your birthday or your company anniversary are really great ways to re-engage with somebody and offer them a a freebie or a thank you or a, a promotional value add for engaging with the company as a way to kind of follow up and keep in touch with them. I am also a super fan of handwritten notes. I think a handwritten thank you note has mega impact for like zero dollars. And if you can take 15 minutes every morning and write five to 10 thank you notes or checking in notes or, or just, you know, was thinking of you notes, it really makes a difference, especially right now, because, you know, we've moved to such a technical space and everything is online and everything is just emails and DMs to so like to get a physical piece of paper and be able to like open a letter and see someone's handwriting, I think is, is a much more engaging experience and it makes people feel really, really special. And so I see the, the tank as the space of surprise and delight. How are the ways that you can surprise and delight your customers? having just kind of given you a few ideas there, that's really how you're going to continue to keep them engaged with your brand. I love that. And yeah, handwritten notes have been something that I've been a a big believer in for a while too. And it's really cool because I travel pretty much full time. And so I'll use postcards. And this is actually a tip that worked really well for me. I got so overwhelmed with the idea of sitting down. I, I wanted to write notes for like a year. I heard a couple people talk about it on podcasts. And I was like, oh, I want to do that for my business. That's the the type of like high touch I want to have. But thinking about a blank sheet of paper was just like, how am I going to fill this up with like, what do I have to say to this person? I have like one sentence to write. And then when I thought about, oh, a postcard, the, the space is so limited that you can fill it up and it's still only a few sentences long, but it's it's not really about writing sheets to people. It's about just like a nice little note and saying like, hey, I was thinking about you. Here's something I picked out and, and hand wrote for you and, and sent you. And uh, I know that we've got a lot of good feedback from our clients when you know I've sent postcards from Colombia and Scotland and uh, Portugal and Turkey and all these different places. And they're always like, man, where are you now? And uh, it's kind of a cool kind of little connection point there. So uh, that's really cool to to hear that you're a believer in that as well. Yeah, no. And I love the postcards. I think definitely you don't, it doesn't need to be a letter, a postcard or a small note card. For a lot of our clients, we've created branded note cards. I work with a caterer here in Nashville where my company is based. They're called Dream Events and Catering. And so we collected various quotes that have the word dream in them, which there are many. And then we created these really beautiful postcards that have the quotes on the front. And then their, their catering or an event space is kind of overlaid in the back. 
but then it's pretty enough to like, oh, I want to put that on my post board because it's like just like a travel postcard is. And that's another really key trick and a way to kind of like implant your brand in someone's office is to create a gift that is branded, but not overtly branded. Like I don't want chintzy cheap, like, oh, thanks for like the, obviously your logo, you know, swag. But if you create the really cute, if that speaks to your brand, but does it in a way that is more artful, you know, we've done really creative kind of Southern quotes for another client I have and, and just kind of, you know, different patterns that mimic their brand colors and, and different, you know, fabric kind of patterns and things like that. That's a way to sort of like subtly implant your brand, but do it in a way that people are willing to post on their board. And then people walk into their office or like, where's that from? Oh, that's, a, have you been to Portugal? And you're like, no, but like my, my podcast guy, or, you know, like it starts a conversation and word of mouth, we all know in the small business space is our bread and butter. And the more that we can do these high touch or surprise and delight experiences, the more word of mouth we create. And even too, there's a, a company called Greetable that has these really cool um, little packages that you can send for like 10 or 15 bucks. And they open up and you can do a personalized note. You can insert personalized photos and it like it's this whole unboxing experience that kind of stuff will end up on social media and they tag you and it's even more word of mouth stuff. So the more thoughtful that you can be in this space, the more that you're creating your own evangelists that will then continue to, to promote your company and push you, you know, your message and, and brand forward. Yeah. I love that. So going back to one of the things you mentioned before, which I'm glad you mentioned this was around the email follow-up sequence after an event. And I like that you mentioned just two to four emails in the sequence, because I, I think I'm not the only one in this boat where it took me probably three years before I ever developed an autoresponder sequence, just because I was so overwhelmed by, by the idea of it. And I think we've all been on people's autoresponders who are like, they're running, you know, multi seven figure businesses. And it's like a 6,000 long email autoresponder sequence that if you click this thing, then you go down this other shoot and like, it is insanely complex. And so that was in my mind when like, okay, I need to write an autoresponder sequence, but I don't know how everything's supposed to fit together. I need like a billion emails, all these things. So I like that you mentioned like, it can be two to four emails, which you can write two to four emails. And especially if you know, like if you talk to your customers at all, which this is obviously a really important thing to do and talk with somebody a week after they've been through an event and say like, how are you feeling? What did you have any like Thing that you wished you could have a resource, anything like that for next steps, especially if we're talking about meditation teachers in particular, if you went to like a weekend retreat or something like that, maybe it's a silent meditation retreat where there's a re-entry period there and you can make that a lot easier and, and offer this kind of high touch added value there by helping people acclimate back to their everyday lives. And obviously that's a kind of extreme example. We're not all delivering these kind of experiences that a silent retreat might give over a, a number of days. But if you can like find out what people are feeling, how they experience the event and what life is like after it, then you can kind of create content to, you know, walk them through the next steps kind of. And so it, it doesn't need to be a 30 email, 60 email, 10 billion email uh, autoresponder sequence. It can be like one, two, three, four, and you can build on it over time. Yeah. And I think that that's where people get hung up on marketing as well. And just business in general is that we look at, you know, Gary, V and, and Oprah and, you know, people who are billionaires and who have massive teams and who have entire agencies working on nothing but their Facebook feed. And so, 
you got to keep in mind the resources that you have as a small business, whether you're a solopreneur or you have, you know, a boutique company with a few people helping you. And you also need to go back to what are you building and what do you want your life to look like? And I think it's really, really easy on the path to success and on the path to quote unquote success to fall into line of others, people's perspective on it. And you didn't create a company. You didn't choose your own life and leave the corporate grind behind so that you could then fall right back into someone else's cage and someone else's description of what makes you happy and what makes you successful. And I really think that this is where experts will come in and say, well, you got to have this and you got to do that because if you don't, you won't be successful. And I call bullshit. It's not true. And you don't need all of this stuff. I tell people all the time, because I work with a lot of new startup people and they get really heady in this space. Like, okay, well, you know, should I do Facebook ads or should I have a, a Wix website or a Squarespace website? I'm like, you need sales. So what I need you to do is I need you to go find five people and pitch your offering with nothing but yourself. And if you can do that, and if you can then take those conversations and pull out what the, what the objections were and what the questions were and, and where people were like, mm, I don't know, or, or what, where, what were they really excited about? If you can do that, then we got something. Otherwise, we just have a really pretty idea. And we have a lot of really pretty marketing and we feel like we matter. But we are, we are I mean, a lot of that stuff, a lot of this marketing stuff is for our egos not what makes a business and it's not what really makes a lot of us happy. And so I, I really ch and challenge people to kind of look at that and, and, and look at what you have to have or what you should have or what you're supposed to do. And how can you simplify it? What can you realistically do in your life? How many sales do you realistically need? Is there a shorter path to the sale? Focus on that. Yeah. I like everything about that. And I think that one thing that that brings to mind is, is going back to talking about the Gary Bees and the Oprahs of the world and kind of keeping in mind where you are at and what you need. They at this point need thousands or hundreds of thousands or however many customers to keep that whole system going. None of us need that many clients or customers or whatever it is. You might need like five people a month to sign up. Or if you have some kind of subscription model, maybe it's like 10 or 20 or, or whatever it is. It's not that many people. And you don't need to be running this massive Facebook ad campaign and putting out all this tons of content. You can get five or 10 or 20 people just by word of mouth, just by cold outreach. And so I think kind of like realizing that that was a, a huge mindset shift for me where I was like, oh, I don't need to be everywhere. I need to just like find 20 of the right people and that's all I need. And I think once you kind of get your head around that, whatever it is that you need for your business, it becomes so much less daunting of like, I need to do all these things. It's like, oh, I only need this much. This is enough. And if I can get that, I'll be good. And I, I don't need to engage in all these other activities that, you know, aren't really serving me. They're a waste of my time, kind of. Yeah, I, no, I 100% agree with that. This is why I think foundation is so important in business and, and taking the time to define a direction, to refine a direction, to really think about those things. I can't tell you how many times I ask people, what do you want your life to look like? And they just look at me like I'm speaking a different language. And no one has ever asked them that. And I think that that's the sad thing about what has sort of happened in, in America and what's, you know, and really the world, I guess you could say, in regards to capitalism and, and, and what 
business success looks like is it looks like Gary Vee. It looks like Oprah. You know, it looks like Marie Forleo. That's the path to success. And you have to somehow recreate that. Do you want that? You know, and this is the, I think the interesting thing that people, if people were to ask you, is Richard Branson successful? Most people would say, absolutely. Like, look at, he has so many businesses. He's a billionaire. He owns his own island. The guy's successful. But if you, if you knew that Richard Branson's dream was to live a simple life in the country, would you then still think he's successful? Hell no. And so that's where I think it's important to really think about what it is you want. Knowing that the business is a tool, just like marketing is a tool to get you there. You got to really keep your eye on the prize there because there's a lot of fancy signs and like billboards along the way. They're like, come here, buy now. Like, and this is the cool thing I will tell you about sales is that once you know sales formulas, you just see them everywhere and you can pick them out and be like, oh, that person's pitching me. Like, oh, that's a really creative way to do it. And like, I like how they're, you know, winding it there, but you, you're a little bit more um, in tune to, to keeping your blinders on and, and staying focused. And checking in to that foundational space of, of where you want to go. And, and I think right now, and I mean, just to speak a little bit about COVID and the state of the economy and the state of the world, and I guess you could say about this, but any, about any market upturn, it becomes really difficult for people to stay the course and trust a path. It's been really difficult for me because it's like, wait a second, everything I know is being challenged and upturned. And that's really when we get tested as business owners. And so I think it's important to know that there are universal truths of humanity and life and of business as a result. And so as much as like we are feeling like we need to be very reactive, my recommendation is to take the intentional steps to set up your life so you don't ever have to be so reactional. And that might be making some financial sacrifices so that you have more of a cushion and more of a safety net to, you know, be a bit more thoughtful about things. It might be choosing a smaller business or keeping that full-time job and and doing the side hustle for a lot longer than you thought because it, it, it suits you to have a bit more flexibility and it keeps you on that intentional path towards fulfillment, which is really, I think, what we're all after. This idea of being intentional about choosing the business I want to build is one that I've believed for a long time, but have only started really living over the course of this past year. Like I mentioned, it was a big shift for me to realize that I only needed a small number of the right people in order to achieve what business success looked like to me. Taking that a step further, I've now become much more intentional about choosing who those people are and choosing how I go about finding and serving them. The content on my podcast, my daily blog posts, and my weekly newsletter are all a result of that intentionality. To be completely honest, I don't think that the way I'm currently choosing to find my people and grow my audience is the fastest. Far from it, in fact. But what's important to me is that it feels sustainable and it feels right for me. One of the lessons I keep reminding myself of lately is that there are many routes to our destinations and that just as important as getting there is the way we choose to get there. My advice to you is to learn, experiment, explore, and choose the route that feels right to you. When it comes to being intentional with where we choose to spend our time, I asked Krista how we should allocate our time when it comes to the different stages of our funnels. This depends a little bit on what your offering is and, and again, what you want your business to look like because some people need to have large audiences. Those are primarily people who 
are going to have more lower cost items or people who are potentially offering products. You need to have a large audience versus someone who is a coach or, you know, is working more one-on-one with people. You need a smaller audience. And so top of funnel again is about brand awareness and audience building. And so if you need a large audience, it makes sense to put more emphasis there, but you need to be thoughtful about modernizing that audience and not build a big Instagram following because it makes your ego feel happy. And actually setting it up so that like, how is this going to turn into sales in my business? And, and what ways can I drive this, this large Instagram following towards conversion and, and buying? And, and whether that be through an e-commerce store or online courses and products and things like that, knowing that Instagram lives across the world. On the flip side, if you are a smaller service-based business that you know, works more one-on-one with clients and perhaps only needs to have five or 10 clients you know, a month or a year even, then you're focusing much more on the lower activities, the lower funnel activities. So you're looking to to be networking and building relationships and reaching out to past clients and working the referral space a lot more. That is really what's more where my business personally is. I have a marketing agency in addition to the, the coaching that I do, but, but we work on much larger projects, much more long-term relationships with people. And so we don't need as many customers. And as a result, most of my activities have been in this lower funnel space, but that's where you got to kind of go out and, you know, do the sales type activities where you're connecting with people and asking how you can help them and building your pipeline and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of people, a lot of people get caught up in the top of funnel stuff. And even if, that is because you want to build a large business and you need a large audience. It needs to be done strategically. Otherwise, you're procrastinating because you don't want to sell to people. And that is what is required for you to be in business is that you sell. Yeah. So one of the things I've, I've heard you talk about before, and I think ties perfectly into kind of this time spent in the top of the funnel and I think partly because that's very public, we can kind of see what everybody's doing, but we get caught in these echo chambers where you're just following people who are like you. So you offer meditation courses and you are following all these other people and seeing what they're doing and trying to like steal their ideas, but they might not know exactly what they're doing. And so all of a sudden you have all these copycat kind of like service providers or meditation instructors or coaches or whatever it might be where you're all kind of following each other and and chasing your tails around, but maybe nothing's actually working for anyone. So I'm curious, like what you recommend to people to kind of like bust out of that and ensure that you're kind of bringing in a diverse set of influences in order to help guide your marketing. That is a really great point. I love that you brought that up because definitely you have no idea. It's just because someone has 10,000 Instagram followers does not mean they have $10,000 or even $100 in the bank. And so, yeah, that's an important, important thing to keep in mind is just because it looks like they're having success doesn't mean that it's turning into revenue. So the things that I would lean into in regards to kind of like those, those safety checks, which is this idea of all entrepreneurs and business owners need to have a support system of like-minded people. And yes, your family and your spouse or, you know, your best friend might be part of that, but unless they are business owners or entrepreneurs, they are not truly your support system. You need to have other people that really, really get that. And so I think the best ways that you can look to connect to people in that space that are, again, look outside of your industry, I think is a big one. Your industry is a great place to start, but make sure that you're building like 
having conversations and, and building relationships with people. So you really kind of understand what their motives are and what their objectives are. And do they align with yours? You know, do they understand business and marketing the way that you understand it? And then I would also look outside of that. And so there's a lot of really great resources in most communities um, for entrepreneurs where you can connect with mentors, you can connect with other entrepreneurs and business professionals, you know, different organizations that will connect, you know, different business owners and put yourself in those situations where you feel uncomfortable and where you don't know anybody and see what you can learn. And for those introverts out there, you can do the same thing in your Facebook groups online and you can have your, you know, video chats and things like that. So you don't have to put yourself in a room full of strangers, but that's where I think it's important to really look at your network and try to diversify it through these different organizations and through, you know, building different relationships. I also like masterminds as another, you know, really great way to connect with people in a, in a kind of more tight knit space. And if you can't find a mastermind, start a mastermind. It's not something that like anyone, <laughs> there's not a big formula on it. So certainly if you have a few other people that you can dive more deeply into business with, I think is, is a great way to build that space. And then I think I would, I would look for key business leaders that have the kind of business you want. I think that that's a really key thing. Even with a mentor, I think is a really key thing too, is that look for a mentor or look for a business coach or a business buddy, so to speak, that has the kind of life and business you want, or that has the experience in the industry building a business you want to build. And then that way you're going to have a guide that can take you along the path and say, yeah, this is, this is how I would do it versus kind of randomly sort of looking at, okay, this is what this person is doing. This person is doing. So one of the things that you mentioned right at the start as being an issue that people run into when it comes to their marketing funnels is a break in consistency. And I know that you and I are both big believers in consistency when it comes to you know content creation, but also messaging and branding and all of that type of stuff when it comes to your business. So what's your kind of opinion on the importance of consistency and where some of the breaks are that people run into? Yeah, consistency is, is crucial. Think about the really big brands that you know by heart because you can sing their jingles and you literally know the brand colors and what their logo, you can identify a logo with almost no information. It's because they've been super, super consistent in how they've been presenting their brand. And so I think is it not only in the fonts you were using, the colors you were using, your logo that, you, that you've defined and simple is better. I hate cluttered logos because you will regret that when you try to put that logo on a shirt and a hat and on a billboard and, you know, on a a digital ad, you got to have simple side tangent there about logos, get off my soapbox now. So (laughs) anyway, but fonts, colors, messaging is also really crucial too. And I think that it's important to have consistent messaging across the board in regards to how you're, what you're saying, what you're telling people, how you're calling them to act. You want to use the same terms and the same things over and over again so people get used to knowing you're the person that says it that way. You're the person that presents that way. And this is the problem that you can solve for people. So, And I think the other thing about consistency more than anything else is showing up. And I say this with a caveat because I think that we all need to you know, maintain life-work balance. And it's easy to be like, well, i got to post every single day. Yes, you need to consistently be posting blogs, podcasts, videos, social media. However, if you take a break, take a week off, your business is not going to collapse. So it's okay to take some time and take a break, rethink strategies, 
But the key is, is that you need to be consistently over the long haul be showing up. And it might mean that if you're not showing up as much on Instagram, maybe you're showing up more on LinkedIn, or maybe you're showing up more at networking events and in different Facebook groups. Either way, I mean, the way they say, like, I think it's 99% of the battle is won by showing up. It just, it just is. And, and showing up consistently is what's going to set you apart because people want to trust you. And especially in the wellness space, I want to trust that, that I can tell you all of my deep, dark ugliness and you're not going to like flake on me or you're not going to like, and you're going to be there for me and help me. And if I see you consistently showing up and consistently showing up in the same way, I trust that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you hear this advice so often about consistency and that it's important, especially in the podcasting space. Everybody always gives the advice like it's important. This is the most important thing you can do is to be consistent. And I agree. But I think that a lot of times people don't go any further than that and they don't explain why it's important when really and especially like you said, for people in the wellness space, trust is so important. And basically by showing up, like if you say I'm going to put out a podcast or a blog post or a social media post every day or week or month or whatever that is, like that's a promise you're making to your audience. And if you don't follow through on a simple thing like posting three paragraphs on Instagram, how can people trust that you're going to show up when they spend $500 on a course with you or some kind of program that you're offering? And like those little things over time, they build up people's trust and faith in you that you're going to deliver when it, it comes time for the big things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and trust is really, really crucial in business. And I think it's, this is the kind of stuff, you know, when we talk about the things that carry us through the hard times, Certainly there are mindset stuff and certainly there's, you know, adaptability and resilience within our own personal selves. But from a business perspective, the ability to surround yourself with, with the right people and the right support system that will show up for you. And then the ability to show up consistently for your clients and cultivate that trust is what is going to carry you through times where, where things get a little lean or a little challenging because the things, the people that you lose first are the people that, that can't figure you out. Are the people that you don't resonate with and people who don't trust you. Those are the ones you, you, you lose first. And so the more that you can work to create that, and, and I think of trust really as a, again, this kind of goes back to that idea of nurturing. Like it's so much bigger than just that they can trust you in business. Like I want my clients to be able to trust me no matter, you know, certainly I'm, I'm their marketing person and I'm their, their website person or their business coach, but I want them to be able to trust me in regards to like, Hey, I have a question about unemployment or I have a question. Like I'm not the person to answer that question, but they trust me so much that they'll just talk to me about it. And that is the the kind of work that I have done over the last you know 10 plus years to create relationships that these people are, they're never leaving. And those are the best clients because they're so committed to you. They recommend you all the time. They champion you. And they're fun to work with, you know? And so it's, there's nothing I love more is when a client says, I, I just trust you to do whatever you want. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but that takes time and that takes effort. And that's where people want to skip that effort because they want to leapfrog to success. And it's like, no, like all of these overnight successes had 15, 10, 20 years of like grudgingly, consistently showing up grind work. Every Sunday, I send out my Listen Up newsletter to over a thousand entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives who are seeking to grow an audience around work that means something. Each week features an article to help you reframe how you're approaching your business, along with five things I discovered the previous week that I think might help you in your life and business. Instead of another tactic or strategy to add to your never-ending to-do list, 
The newsletter is meant to help you rise above the noise and look at your work from a new perspective. It's best consumed sitting somewhere cozy with a cup of coffee in your hand, which is exactly how I write it. Writing this newsletter is my very favorite thing I do in my business, and it's something I'm truly proud to create and share. I'd be honored to send it to you, and you can sign up at betterwellness.biz newsletter. As someone who is obviously very clear on her purpose, I wanted to transition the conversation and talk about the values that guide Krista in the work she does. I actually am really clear on some of my anti-values, which I think has has helped me because a lot of times people, you know, like, oh, core values, like, well, we want to be trusted and professional. Those are great. But for me, it was actually easier to define my anti-values and use that as something that that leads the team. And then, of course, I'll answer the other side of that. My two key anti-values are greed and waste. Waste for us will come through in making sure we're being as streamlined and as efficient for the client as possible, that we're you know, making decisions to cut edits on a project because it is, it is done enough, you know, it doesn't need to be any more perfect, or that you know, we will recommend that they go one direction or another direction in an effort to protect their revenue and protect their, their resources and be very resourceful, which I think is sort of the, the other side of not being wasteful is to be very resourceful. And that's something that means a lot to me. And that I really implore with my team. And then again, greed is another thing too. And this is a tricky one, but this is something that I really work hard to do is to not take advantage of people because it's really easy to just keep selling them and keep selling them and keep selling them and saying, you know, you need this and you need this and you need this. And there are plenty of times, especially when I work with people from, because I'll oftentimes work for them in both spaces. So I'll be their coach and their consultant and be guiding them through a strategy And I'll also be, my team will be working with them on like a website project or a branding project. And I'll start to learn stuff about where they want to go. And then we have to make that very ethical decision to be like, wait a second, this branding project now needs to either be stopped or it needs to be reduced or it needs to be adjusted. And that's going to hurt us financially. But I'm willing to do that and not be greedy because I know in the long run, it's the best decision for my client. And it's the kind of world and life I want to be. Those are some key ones for me that, that drive us. But intentionality is huge. And making sure that work-life balance isn't a really big one for me too. And paying a living wage. That's a huge one for me. And I will tell people that that don't hire me or think I'm too expensive is that my team is entirely US-based. And I pay them not only living wages, but I pay them wages that are reflective of the skill set that they bring to my team. And that is why we cost what we cost. And you can expect an amazing experience from us and a ton of professionals come into the plate to help you and your business. And no, we're not $5 a project or $5 an hour or any of that kind of BS. And I, I really think that as small businesses in particular, we have a responsibility and a platform to adjust that ship. I really believe that it's important that we're mindful of how we're impacting the supply line, even if supply lines in, in the Philippines. You know, like there's no reason for us to be advantageous in, in any capacity. And so, yeah, so those are some of the things that kind of drive me and in, in, in how I run my business. And again, there's the, the kind of agency side um, where I have a small team that um, of, of employees and independent contractors that, that work together. And then I overrun that. And then I also have my coaching and consulting work that I do a lot of times in conjunction because I find that, you know, we got to unpack the stuff before we can start building building the house, so to speak. Yeah. 
So one of the things that I uh, like to talk about on this show and is one of the main goals of the show is helping people introduce more ease into their life and business. So is there anything that you've made a change in either your life or your business that's brought kind of more ease into your day-to-day? Is wine an appropriate answer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't see why not. No, I think that um, ease is probably something that I I would say I I struggle with a little bit because I am such a hard worker and because I am so driven and I I want people to feel supported and know that I'm in their corner and I go above and beyond in a lot of ways. And so, and this is really funny that you bring that up because in yoga is, is the idea of ease and effort. And every posture has an ease and an effort that you have to find the balance of to have, you know, accomplished that, that pose or that, that posture. And I really do good at effort. So I think that, that ease is sometimes harder for me. And I, I probably am better in, in all honesty, when I can get myself out of my, my main space. And so when I can be traveling and working and traveling at the same time, I'm able to find more ease or, you know, when I go on vacation and just, and that's another thing too, that I, I try to be really strategic about like unplugging. And so maybe it's not like a daily ease for me. It's more of a, like an intentional, like you're going to work really hard, but then you're going to unplug really hard too at certain you know points. And, and that's one thing, even in our business that last year for the first time, we actually went dark for 10 days and I've never done that in my business. And it was amazing. My whole team, everybody got off. We all just were like, it was like minimal responsiveness. All the clients knew it and we were going to go dark. And it was our intention to continue that <laughs> in the future. It's been a little bit upended with everything in the market changes, but I'm still hoping we can do it again over the December holiday, which is when we did it last year. And I'd like to do it twice a year where the team just goes dark and can reset and can refresh and kind of juice up their creative minds. And I think that that's how I approach probably the injection of ease. I love that. So one of the things that I always like to ask, uh, I say that this show, it's a show about building a better world. The skies is a show about building a better business. Because I think kind of like you alluded to before, as small businesses, we can kind of lead some of that change in our communities. So I'm curious, given the title of the show, what does building better mean to you, whether in business or in life? I'm 100% on that boat too. I think it's all about building a better life and a better world cloaked behind the vehicle of business. So better for me means more intentional. It means there's more fulfillment. There is more ease, whether it be daily or, or, you know, throughout the course of, uh, of your life, that we pay a living wage. We take care of our community, knowing that our community is not just our employees and our independent contractors, but also our clients and our, our community at large, that we stand up for things that are right, you know, and we stand up for racial injustices and we stand up for misogyny and that we as a business recognize that we don't just sell products and services, but we define the future. And if we want the future to be better, I see better as a more fair, just and inclusive, thoughtful, joyful place. And so why not grab all of those things and pull them into your business and use them to lead you forward? And I think wellness people, man, you guys are the leaders in this. Like this is, this is where you can really make an impact and, and show the world how we can leave it better. It's always a treat to talk with another business owner who thinks deeply, not just about their business, but the idea of business, what it has the potential to achieve, 
what our responsibility is as business owners, and what we can do to build the very best businesses for ourselves, our teams, our clients and customers, and our communities. You can find Krista at pathandcompass.com, all spelled out, or on Instagram at pathandcompass, again, all spelled out. If you're interested in going deeper with her, Krista offers a free intro coaching session, which you can find on her homepage as well. As always, we'll have all the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as how you can connect with Krista further at betterwellness.biz slash 019. To continue this conversation, I'd love to hear which section of your marketing funnel you feel is the strongest, which is the weakest, and why. You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice and leave me a message, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. In the next episode, I'll be back with the first of two solo episodes to round out the year, starting off with a recap of some of my most impactful learnings and insights from what's been one of the most eventful years of my life. I know I'm not the only one. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. To you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me. If you're enjoying this podcast, please, please, please let me know what you think. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, keep building better.